Welcome to Taking the High Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate the constant feedback I'm getting on the show. Uh, it means a lot to me that you're finding the content valuable and useful. Don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you're using to tune in. Now, this week, I'm honored to be joined by an industry veteran of over 30 years, an absolute class act as a leader, president and CEO of DM Bowman and current chairman of the Truckload Carriers Association, Jim Ward. Welcome to the show, Jim. Great to see you. Jeremy, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, there are a number of things I'd like to discuss with you today. Uh, I want to touch on your career of over 30 years with DM Bowman. I want to talk about your involvement in TCA, your plans as chairman as, as we come out of a very challenging time. Um, I'd like to get your take on what we need to do to attract more new entrants to the industry and improve the crippling challenge with today's driver shortage. We'll also visit the deeper dive segment where we answer a question submitted by a listener. Does all of that work for you? all special topics and I'm all yours. <laughs> all right, great. Well, before we begin though, I, I do need to take you to task on something. I hear all the time about my backdrop, right? All the, all the books back here. I get a lot of comments on those, but I recently saw a photo where you had to one up me. Yeah, it was in my basement. <laughs> that's, that's quite a library. Very, very impressive. So that was a, that was a, that was a cool picture. I appreciate you, uh, you sharing that. Now. You like uh, that better than my wife. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with books. In fact, I will say this. Uh, I read I read something recently that it said a house without books uh, is like a room without windows. And I thought, yeah, a lot of truth to that. I, yeah. told, I told my two sons growing up, we could always find money for books. So as long as they wanted to read and would keep reading, we'd always be able to find you know, a way to be able to provide them books. Awesome. And I think there's a that's a prescription to success in a lot of ways. Most successful people. Um, they read. They read a lot. So I'll follow that. At that point, Jerry, I've, I've said many times in my career of people that I've met, they've either been extremely well-traveled, extremely well-educated, or well-read. And, no and normally a combination of that, but uh, you're exactly right. So if we could uh, talk about your career at Dan Bowman, the first time I met the founder, Don Bowman, was in 2018 during ATA's MCE conference. Uh, Don was one of four industry legends who were highlighted on a panel and Driver Reach was honored to be the sponsor of that event. And uh, it was really amazing to hear Don's story. I'm curious, you know, how, how did you get your start in the industry? And can you share about that as well as your trajectory to, you know, president of DM Bowman? Well, you're exactly right about Don. I said, you know, we're very blessed to be a, a, a driver-driven organization from an individual that founded the company in 1959, one man, one truck. And then we find ourselves where we are today as a result of that. So that's quite a blessing. Uh, myself, I, uh, I started out as a railroader out of school and, uh, you know, a couple years on the ground learning yards as a brakeman. One day I got tapped on the shoulder and they said, hey, we're going to send you to locomotive engineer school. And then I spent about five years of my career running trains on different lines in and around the East Coast area here. So, so I like to tell people uh, I grew up playing with trains and trucks and I've made a, made a living playing with trains and trucks uh, I departed the railroad in the, in the fall of 1985. I came to work for Don in January of 1986. I had been part of the Maryland Division Safety Team for uh, the uh, CSX, is what it is they what it ended up being with all the mergers and acquisitions. So I came to work for Don in the role of safety. Of course, at that time the company was the size of such that uh, 
your title didn't mean a whole lot. You just did what you needed to do every single day to keep the business operating. And so was able to get my hands involved in a lot of different things. Learned a lot about the, the trucking industry. Uh, wasn't long. We, we, were, we were growing and, and Don tapped me on the shoulders and said, hey, I think we need a human resources department. And, and the next thing you know, uh, I was putting together myself and a couple of people as the director of human resources. Uh, and through that same process, you know, this, this continuous improvement movement started to, to come about. Coming out of the, coming out of the uh, hospital industry, uh, manufacturing industry over into the transportation industry. And uh, so Don came to me one day and said, hey, look, this, this um, is interesting. Uh, I know we've talked about it. You've read about it. Would you mind taking over the role of like vice president of quality for the organization? And, uh, and so I had the opportunity to step into that role. And uh, that role has served me really well in my career. You know, still to this day, you know, I think about the uh, if you can if you can improve uh, your processes and systems. You can probably better manage your, your cost by reducing complexity and, and rework. If you can do that, you can probably increase productivity with your staff and your personnel because they're not having to do all the rework. It's going to make you uh, better in being able to control your pricing to the, to the marketplace, which should allow you to increase your market share, stay in business, provide jobs and more jobs, and provide an adequate return on invested capital, either to the stockholder or shareholders of the company. So that was a very good move for me. Um, following that, I... I took a seven-year sabbatical. I got recruited away from the company. I went with a very large organization, a financial services business. The company's name was Willis Caroon, ended up being Willis. And I went to work for them for two years as their Eastern Division Director. And then I ended up stepping into the role of the Managing Director of the practice for five years. And, and what we did at Willis, we provided insurance products, reinsurance products, and also safety and risk management consultation. Uh, my spouse, Starla, who's my best friend in life, and she lost her dad in 1999. We've been married 40 years this year. And so in 1999, Don reached out to me. Uh, he was at my, my father-in-law's funeral. And at that time, the president was looking to retire and asked me if I'd, mind, if I'd be interested in coming back and, and joining the company. So I returned in 1999 as a CEO. Uh, then when, when the, the president retired, I stepped into his role as president and CEO and uh, have been had the blessing of, of holding that title since, but uh, it's been quite a ride and, and quite a challenge. And uh, I've been very blessed to to work with Don and the, and the Bowman family and to uh, to be in this industry. It's been very good to me and my family. Yeah, no, and I think that you 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 touched on just the industry being such a as big as it is. It's pretty it's pretty tight knit, you know. It's pretty close. That's something that I recognize as I got, and I've 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 been in it close to approaching twenty years now, and um, it really, if you embrace it, it embraces you right back, and you can build some really good relationships. Uh, can you? Do you have that sort of same perspective on the industry? Have you experienced that as well? Oh, absolutely, Jeremy. I tell you, um, you know, as fierce as competitors as we are out in, in competing for business. To get in a room and or get in an association meeting or a convention and, and, and meet and greet, Starla and I have made some of our dearest friends are in this industry nowadays, and so we become very close personal friends over time. And and it is it's that's pretty unique as as you said. And uh, so some of our lifelong friends are, are are into this industry who again, like I said, every day are some of our fiercest competitors. So you're you are the chairman of the TCA this year, the 90th chairman in TCA's history. Um, as I said earlier, coming off a challenging year, really uh, since last March at the 2020 uh, TCA Annual Conference in Orlando. 
Uh, we've worn out the word unprecedented, right? We've heard it plenty of times. Maybe maybe uh, unparalleled, you know, deserves its its moment in the sun. But it's been a challenge. And I recently saw you uh, at the first TCA event, the first um, in-person event since the onset of COVID, uh, the safety conference in St. Louis. Uh, if you could, you know, how was that event? You know, as, as the chairman of this first in-person event, how was that event? And did you get a general sense of, you know, feeling for those who attended? Oh, I tell you, it. Uh, my hat's off to uh, the Safety and Security Committee, led this year by by Dean Newell. He was the, he was the chairman of the committee. Uh, Shelley Seaton from Landstar stepping in as next year's chair, uh, and the TCA staff. I mean, they did a phenomenal job. I, I thought the, the the presenters and and the the quality of the material that was presented in the various sessions was uh, was excellent. And uh, you know, so and and again, I'd like to give a shout out to Tom Bowler. You know, Tom Bowler won the Claire C. Casey Award from uh, from Herb Companies, and uh, as a safety person of the year or safety director of the year, I mean, quite an honor. Uh, but again, it was very well attended. It's it's the largest attendance I know in at least the last decade. We had over 250 individuals at the in attendance at the meeting, and uh, and it, you know, you you talked about the industry and people, the networking, the communication, the camaraderie that you saw traveling you know, myself just in and out of some of the meetings and talking to some of the personnel was just incredible. And we all know safety is the, is the number one priority of, of this industry. And I tell those individuals, it's, it's all of our responsibilities. They just happen to have it in their title. But, but to be able to see the collaboration and the, and, the, and the brainstorming and the sharing in that meeting was, was really pretty special. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it was something where, you know, for those who were there for the first time in over a year, um, a little bit of emotions for some, I think, you know, if, if people were feeling comfortable with a hug, there were hugs, you know, you, you just, that's the sort of relationships that you have. And, um, and, you know, based on you know, the challenges that we've been through now, I, and I agree, I think I had heard that it was either record attendance or certainly as much as had been in a very long time. And earlier this year, because of COVID, you know, Truckload 2021, the annual conference that was scheduled for Vegas in the spring was rescheduled to this September. Would you uh, expect a similar sort of turnout uh, for, for Truckload 2021? Well, I would just say even before that, we have a yep. refrigerated conference that's going to take place July 14th to 16th at, uh, at the Hyatt Regency in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And my guess is both the refrigerated conference and the annual meeting are going to be extremely well attended. I, the exhibit hall is already sold out uh, and, and we're getting registrations in every single day. So if you haven't gone to Truckload 2021 and registered, I highly recommend you do so soon because I do think it's going to be a, a significant turnout. Yeah, and I think that uh, the truckload2021.com, I believe, is the is the URL that will take you directly to that. And definitely encourage people to register early. Uh, I know I have, and I think there's a few of us actually. I'm I'm actually I have the honor of uh, being able to present there, and uh, that's always exciting and then a little bit nerve wracking, but it's it's fun to be able to do that and and. I know it'll be a, a fantastic event and looking forward to uh, spending some time in, in Vegas. And and if we can, let, I want to talk about the value of TCA membership, especially for those listeners who who aren't members. You know, you're in a unique position to comment on this, not just because you're, you're the you're the chairman, but you've been on the vendor side of the industry as well as as the carrier side. Uh, can you speak to the, the value that uh, TCA offers its members? Well, I, I really can. And as you say, I, I've been on the on the member side of it, attending meetings. And, and now I've been on the line as an officer for seven years, now my eighth year and, and, and have the opportunity to be the chairman this year. 
I've also had the opportunity to be on the supplier vendor side and, and in the exhibit hall, standing on the other side of that booth, meeting and greeting customers and prospective customers. And, and so it, you know, it truly is. When you, when you look back to our founding and you look at our current mission statement, I mean, we're really here to continue to work with our membership to provide opportunities to inc- improve profitability, productivity, and where, where necessary, you know, advoc- advocacy on, their, on Capitol Hill for the truckload segment of the industry. But the real value of the association, from my perspective, has always been for me, is the networking opportunity and the people that you get to know and rub shoulders with. And so when you sit in the seat that I sit in today, you know, this is a challenging business and you're confronted with a, with a lot of issues on a pretty regular basis. So sometimes rather than reinventing the wheel, when you can pick up the phone and call one of your colleagues and have a conversation with them about, hey, have you ever run into this? Have you ever run up against it? You know, what have you done? It, it, is, in, it is invaluable. And uh, so that is, that is truly a, a, a takeaway, I think, from being a member of this association. Then, and then the education. I mean, the Truckload Carriers Association has been all about education for a number of years. In 1999, we established the Truckload Academy. And, uh, you know, we've continued to offer education for individuals from from the driver base to the C-suite, just like you're talking about at annual. I mean, we have a number of panels and workshops that are all basically designed for for C-suite executives and uh, with with great leaders coming in to talk about the issues of the day. And so so the educational arm of Truckload Carriers Association has been extremely important to to us. And then the flip side of that, you know, tied into that education is our benchmarking piece which we now call TPP, but the value that one receives from participating in these groups, which has continued to grow exponentially, is, is you know, that takeaway value is incredible. And again, I know sometimes people are a little reluctant to share their numbers, but as I tell folks, if you do and you will going into these meetings, it's not about the number. It's about how you get to that number. And I may not be able to replicate what you do, but I can probably get better by listening to you and coming back and assessing what I'm doing. And, and again, this business has the greatest opportunity for cost controls. So why not share those best practices and learn from each other and see if we can't continue to get better in managing those costs? And, and then finally, you know, I would say the advocacy portion of it, you know, it's certainly necessary. We, uh, we lean heavily on the American Trucking Association from an advocacy standpoint and, uh, we know there's values in numbers in, in going to Capitol Hill. So we need to keep a presence there because 99.9% of the time we agree with the American Trucking Association and, and, and what's in our advocacy efforts. But sometimes there are issues that are just truckload specific. And so we have to be able to make sure that people know who we are. And we can go on Capitol Hill and have discussions with them about the issue. Well, speaking of advocacy, uh, as chairman at this time, there are some some pretty key industry issues that that need to be addressed that that uh, that we hear a lot about. You know, can you kind of maybe briefly briefly touch on what your priorities are during your term? Well, you know, it's it's, it's interesting that you asked me that because back a few years ago, when you find yourself in a chairmanship, that once you spend the seven years or so on the line to, to get to that opportunity, that year goes pretty quick. So so back a few years ago, you know, with the uh, Russell Stubbs and Rob Penner and Dan Doran and Josh Kaburik and now Dennis Dallinger, we kind of sit down and had a conversation about the fact is we need to keep some continuity because that one-year term is a flash of the pan once you, once you get there. And so, so we've continued to try to align ourselves with the things I just mentioned, strengthen our education value proposition to our, to our association members to, 
to help them get better in their business that they're in. You know, continue to try to work on and improve the image of our industry, which coming off COVID, it's it's the best opportunity I've seen in the 30 years I've been in this business. And, and you know, then continue to strengthen our advocacy as necessary over on Capitol Hill and make sure that we've, we've got our we have our members informed. So we all, we always say all politics is local so they can have discussions with their local politicians or state politicians. And, you know, we have a, uh, we have a say inside the beltway. And again, what we, well, all we ask for is a seat at the table. And so again, we try to, we're trying to provide continuity. You know, when I, when I hand the baton off next year to John Elliott, it, it will be the same thing. Now, some different things arise to the occasion. You know, I happen to be stepping in when we have a change in administration. So we're we're in the process of getting to know a lot of the people that's now coming in under this administration and, and these appointments and Mira Josie for the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. I've been on a call with her, probably be July, I would think, maybe before she gets the formal appointment, but but getting to know those folks, them getting to know us is really important. Well, it's interesting. You you mentioned having a seat at the table. And you've heard this, you know, phrase before. If you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. I have, but Keith Tuttle's the first chairman I heard say that. I, <laughs> I love it, and it's so appropriate. And I think that that speaks to just you know getting involved, being engaged, making sure you're in the room where it happens. Exactly, you know? because you know, again, that that's all we can ask for. It seems like they call themselves uh, safety advocates coming out of the safety and security meeting. Of course, I always tell everybody, I don't know how that ever came about because we're the safety advocates. We're the ones out here advocating for safety every single day, but. You know, they always try to find these little things that, that drive us apart, like minimum insurance. And, you know, we know in this bill that just that just was marked up and passed on to now going to be coming up in the Senate. I guess they're going to start their markup next Wednesday. It's come out of the House. You know, we understand there's some minimum insurance language in there. Looking at the two million now instead of the five million, but still in excess of the seven hundred fifty thousand. But it appears to me they always try to find those little things that try to drive wedges. In, in the middle of all of us in the industry, instead of those 99.9% of the things that we can all agree on and continue to pull forward. So we got to be careful of that. And all we can ask for, like I said, is a seat at the table to have discussions about what's in the best interest, that they use data, they use a good science, scientific approach to determine, you know, what might make sense for us. Let's take a deeper dive. This might be a good segue uh, into where we take a question from a listener seeking expert advice. Uh, the question that was submitted is, do you think reducing the minimum age for a CDL to 18 will have enough of an impact on today's driver shortage? What are your thoughts? So, so let me say this. Um, I attended my first Truckload Carriers Association meeting in, in, I think it was 92, 93. And Arch Fulton from Stephen City, Virginia, Fulton Trucking, was the chairman that year. And, and he ran that year. You asked me what's important to me this year. I remember very well. He ran that year on getting 18 to 20 year olds into this industry to run interstate. And so, so here we are, 30 years later, having the same conversation. But I will tell you, with the changes of in, of, in the equipment and, and, uh, and it's all the technology that's on this equipment nowadays, I really do believe it is the right time for consideration as such. Now, do I think to answer your question, it's going to give us the influx of labor that we're going to need to overcome the demand that we're seeing right now and the attrition that we're experiencing in the industry with the average age of the driver. Absolutely not. But as we look to the future, I think it's going to we, we need to start bringing those individuals into the business. And when 36 or, or however many states it is right now allows them to be able to drive intrastate, you know, Don's two grandsons, they were driving intrastate here in Maryland 
at, at 18 to 20 years of age and, and have done a bang-up job for us. And, but they couldn't go 12 miles up and down Interstate 81 and cross into West Virginia or cross into Pennsylvania. But they could go to Baltimore and drive through the tunnel, which makes no sense. So I think it takes, you know, we're not going to – it's just not one fail swoop that's going to be right for everything and everybody when you look around the, the various states. But there are some areas that I think it really makes sense. And I think if we do it right with the 400 hours of training and all that they're looking for, 240 with the driver, you know, out there on our nation's highways learning how to operate the equipment, I do think the timing is now. And, it, and it's like I said in a quote not, not too awful long ago, if not truckload, then who? And if not now, when? Kind of going back to the Reagan years, I think the timing's right. Well, since most of the uh, Taking the High Road listeners are, are grappling with today's driver shortage, I'd like to, to close out our conversation with some of the things you think we need to do as an industry to overcome this challenge. Uh, no matter what we do, we need to continue uh, to work towards improving the industry's image. How do we get back to being the, you know, the knights of the road that, that what we used to be? Well, you know, it's, as you know, this is very near and dear to my heart, Jeremy. And uh, as I mentioned in the very opening comments, I started out working for the railroad and they sent me to locomotive engineer school. So as I always say, when you drive a locomotive, what do they call you? Engineer. When you drive a plane, what do they call you? Pilot. When you drive a truck, what do they call you? Driver. Truck driver. <laughs> truck driver. And so, you know, I said, I don't understand this. And, and, and I will tell you, my dear friend, Brian Kinsey, who uh, has been a very dear friend. He's retired now. He was with Landstar for a number of years. And at last in his career, he was running uh, Brown Transportation and Brown Logistics. And, you know, Landstar always had the BCO, business capacity owner. And he's the first person that ever said something to me about it in conversation many years ago when we were talking the same conversation. And he said, what about CVO, commercial vehicle operator? And I said, you're right. You're spot on. Let's elevate this job. Let's let's give the general public, you know, a different view of this individual. Let's help them better understand the training and education that they're going through. Let's help them understand the value that they create in the supply chain every single day. And let's name them as such, commercial vehicle operator. My dear friend, Tom Albrecht, he spoke up not too awful long ago and he sent me a note. He goes, how about commercial vehicle engineer? And I said, Tom, any anything like that makes sense to me. But I, CVO, CVE, whatever it is, but I think it, it it behooves us as an industry to start to be able to, to identify our personnel in this role with the way the role has changed. And like I said, the equipment and technology so that the general public starts to look at them in a different light. And, and if we can't do that with the carriers and the truckload carriers association today, I'm not so sure we can do it with the rest of the industry. So it starts with us. And just remember, you will make a difference. Well said. And I think, you know, you, you see the buttons that say, I love trucks. You know, I yeah, think I we, yes, we might need to have something for truckload 2021 or maybe even at the refrigerator event uh, that's got something with the CVO on it. Got to get that buzz going, get that talking about it. What is that? You know, and I think that's that's how it you know, takes gets groundswell, you know, a little, little grassroots effort going there. Now, it really does. And just so you know, just so you know, along those lines, you're going to start seeing more about Truckload Strong. So as we continue to brand Truckload Carriers Association, we're going to brand ourselves as Truckload Strong because we think there's a lot of value. In I love it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and Jim, just thank you so much for joining me today. I, I really appreciate being able to chat with you. Uh, if I don't see you beforehand, I look forward to seeing you in Vegas this September. Jeremy, it's always a pleasure. Appreciate your support of Truckload Carriers Association and our industry and all that we do. And remember, if you haven't gone to truckload2021.com yet, get there.
Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Jim. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the High Road. Thank you for sharing episodes with your colleagues and, and helping us spread the word on how we can better navigate the driver shortage challenges. You can also follow along at driverreach.com slash podcast. Please submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the High Road on whatever platform you're using to tune in. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.